0: Joe and Laura Melama. Today, we get to hear from Josh Newell, who's the executive director of the Jesus Film Project.
1: Yeah, we get to hear about his story, how he transitioned from an aspiring newscaster to a full-time missionary. Josh then shares with us some really great stories from the field, and then we get to hear about his future vision for the Jesus Film
0: Project. So Josh, thanks so much for uh, coming on to our podcast. We're so excited to talk with you. Yeah,
2: guys, uh, this is exciting. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, I'd like to just kind of start out by explaining to people, if they don't know who you are, you're the executive director of the Jesus Film Project, and you've been in this role for about a year now, is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's right. Last week was a full
0: year. Wonderful. Why don't you tell us about maybe just how you started in your ministry, a full-time ministry, how God called you into that, and then maybe explain some of the milestones along the way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... It uh, it was really clear that I never wanted to become a full time missionary. When I was a kid, I grew <laughs> up in the Southern, <laughs> I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition, and I can remember several missionaries coming through our church and giving really exciting talks. But at the end of it, I always felt like, okay, God, there's no way that I want to go to Africa and like live there or go to other places in the world other than being in my small town in Indiana. I thought that was what was the best and. And that kind of persisted even throughout my you know growing up years and into high school is when i started to get a little bit more antsy to leave small town indiana but uh, by that time i really wasn't thinking about missions at all i wasn't really thinking about serving the lord full-time at all period and it wasn't until my senior year in college when i heard a man by the name of paul Esherman, who founded the jesus film project under campus crusade for christ talk about the great commission in a way that i've never heard before and I was, I can remember still being in this, this conference with 2,000 other college kids and hearing Paul lay out the story of how God had it in his mind from the very beginning to reach the world through multiplying discipleship. And all those things I think I'd heard before, but I never really had put it together that not only was the Great Commission this thing that was in the Bible that Jesus said, but it was an actual plan for reaching the world. And there was a ministry that was really committed to seeing that carried out. And those two things really kind of like took my heart. But the the thing that really captures my imagination really was when I heard Paul tell a story about a people group in Africa hearing the word of God for the very first time in their own language. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly it all clicked. All the tribes all the nations, all the tongues of the earth will be around the throne one day. And it became really clear how that could possibly happen. At that point, the Jesus film had been translated into a whopping 475 languages. And Paul was trying to recruit any of us in that room to, to just join the Jesus film for a year and go around the world and record new Jesus film translations. And I thought, okay, I can actually do that. That's something I can do. And it was that little small step that I think the Lord just, the Lord knew that I needed that kind of bite-sized introduction to ministry to get me hooked. And really, from the very first trip that I took with the Jesus film, I was hooked. So I, th- I think that's really the, you know, you asked for a milestone. I, I really do look at that as a watershed moment in my, in my life, that the Lord was really gracious to me to invite me into something really fun. And I had, hadn't really ever thought about the Great Commission as um, fun or achievable up until that point.
0: And I know that your plans at the time, you were at college, and you were definitely not <laughs> thinking about going into full-time ministry. What were you doing at college at that point?
2: Yeah, I was starting to become a broadcast journalist. And I think the biggest ambition of my life was to be on ESPN one day. <laughs> and nice. I, was, I was doing yeah sports broadcasting. And I think for all the podcast listeners out there, if you can picture Scott Van Pelt, that's kind of what I look <laughs> like right now. <laughs> and, uh, and and I didn't know that ESPN already had a Scott Van Pelt. And so yeah. it would have been really redundant. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well said. So what was the conference called and how did you get invited? I'm so curious because I think I kind of remember that time.
2: Yeah, this, is a, this would have been all the way back in, in the year 1997. Yeah, and it was a it. it was a winter conference that Campus Crusade for Christ held. And it was um, you know all the all the students in the Midwest region. So several different campuses from Indiana University, where I went and attended, to Michigan and Illinois, and Ohio State. You know that geography. All those students came from those different colleges and kind of descended on Indianapolis for a week. And it was a kind of like a rock star lineup of Paul Escheman and and other like mission leaders. I think Crawford Loretz was even there and, and some like awesome bands. I can't remember if third day was there, but in my mind, like all these (laughs) bands were there. And I think, you know, it was just like this really awesome confluence of like, Oh yeah, you know what? You can be a Christian and it could be really fun and you can be involved in the great commission in a way that is really meaningful And also what made it kind of significant at the time, too, is that there was a big opportunity called the Millennial Pledge. And racing towards the year 2000, there was a lot of mission agencies that were, you know, on a similar journey to get people involved in the Great Commission leading up to the year 2000. And uh, and Campus Crusade for Christ was one of them.
1: So even though you didn't feel like you had a call to be a missionary, how did you get to this conference? Did someone invite you? Like it intrigued you even though? I'm just curious about that because you weren't looking for this
2: yeah it certainly wasn't like this uh, you know it wasn't one moment but i can trace it back to meeting my future wife the summer before my senior year and seeing how she lived out her faith in one of the most difficult areas of the world capitol hill <laughs> so mm-hmm. she was in the she was uh working as a congressional aide in uh in a couple different congressman's offices and leading Bible studies and having this really wonderful, fruitful ministry, even as she worked. And I think for the first time, I caught a glimpse of how, you know, you could be involved in any type of work, but still, you know, reach people. And that was really compelling. And her parents are on staff with Campus Crusade. And she started to, like when we met, she started to tell me about this organization. And I thought, if there's a Campus Crusade for Christ at Indiana University, then I want to get involved with these guys.
1: So Josh, I remember hearing a year or so ago a story about a border crossing that was pretty pretty amazing how God protected you. Can you share more of that story? Yeah.
2: Um, there's a secure country that a bunch of us were going into from another secure country. So sorry to be so cryptic about where this was taking place, but in the Middle East, the, you know, it's basically all those countries. So it's a country in the Middle East, and we were opening up ministry operations in this Particular country. And to get there, we had to travel across this bridge, across this border. And the officials there were making life pretty miserable because in a totalitarian regime, you can do that. And the team leader that we were with that was taking us across the border, that was helping establish missions in in this other country, had been under basically state scrutiny for a number of years. And, uh, you could tell, or I could tell that it was just kind of, it was all wearing thin after being there for several hours in the hot sun, no water and all that stuff. And just for no other reason than the, than these uh, security officials wanted to make life miserable. They just kind of detained us at the border over these kind of crazy pretenses. And and I can remember our team leader saying, okay, we're just going to go across the border. And so we thought, okay, wow. well, let's get our stuff and we'll, we'll just do it because... Honestly, the only way that they could stop us is, you know, they would have to like chase us down. And oh my god! And so we started, and we just kind of grabbed our stuff, and we started to go across the border. And I can remember at that point, I realized that they were actually armed, you know, armed men. <laughs> these are these are oh border, goodness. you know, security guards. So of course, they have weapons, and so they raised their weapons and leveled them at us, and and uh, they started shouting. And the team leader said, "If you want to shoot us, go ahead and shoot us, but we're going to cross this border." Wow. <laughs> and I was, hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but <laughs>
1: well, what were you thinking at the time?
2: <laughs> well, what was crazy about that is that you know I think we we're already not just because we were like sick of the experience, but the reason why we were there in the first place is that the gospels are urgent, and so at, at some point you just got to recognize that. Even earthly authorities are subject to God's, uh, you know, authority, and we're going to places where God is calling us into, not because we have this passport from the American government or whatever government, and so we we were going into this country under, under God's authority, and if they were going to shoot us, they were going to be shooting emissaries <laughs> of God, wow. and that's kind of that's kind wow. of the approach, and I, and I love that boldness, and so um, yeah. and, and so eventually they were like. Uh, the officials kept their guns trained on us and they said, okay, we're going to process you. And it took another hour or whatever, but they finally let us through. But I don't think they would have had not this team leader been so bold and Uh, basically called the bluff. Like who's really in charge here. Is it God or is it men? And it's clearly God, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Totally cool.
0: So Josh, um, I know that in the past year, you serving as executive director of the Jesus film project I know that you have a vision and maybe part of this is Holly's vision as well. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to hear more about you and Holly's vision for the Jesus film project. Mm -hmm. What do you think the future entails for Jesus film? What things do you see in the future that you think are going to be important here?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's two primary focuses for the Jesus film that is captured under our calling. And our calling is to help fulfill the Great Commission by winning, building, and sending, multiplying disciples, and helping the body of Christ do evangelism and discipleship. So that's that's like this big paragraph about what we're all about. But it's really important because we put the Great Commission in its central focus, and we're just saying, okay, now there's a strategy for how to do that through winning, building, and sending, and helping, and partnering really well. And that part is what drives us. Every morning that we get out of bed as Jesus Film staff or Jesus Film partners, we're all thinking about one thing. What's it going to take to fulfill the Great Commission today? And whatever that is, we're going to do it. And so if God calls us to do something crazy that day, then we do crazy. If we if he calls us to be faithful to the plans that he's already given us, we do that. So that's the that's the vision, that's the calling. And then the rest of it is just kind of like making sense of it and strategy wise. And so I think that's what this is where it starts to get to your question like what do I see as like some of the big strategic things that God is calling us into? And one of them is to be focused on giving every single people group on earth a chance to hear about Jesus in their own language. And that means helping translate the Jesus film or one of our other Jesus film movies into their language. And so we're going to be focused on that all the way down to the 7,000th people group. And right now we're at 1,754 languages. So we got a ways to go, but God is, God's accelerating that. And so, and and we're starting to see like this convergence of partnership of people who are on the same journey with us that want to see the Jesus film or, you know, translated. And so they're saying, hey, how can we help do this? And we're saying, hey, you can have all of our resources, all of our tools, and we want to help equip you to do it. And that's really the leverage point is kind of like taking everything that we have, putting it on the table and, and empowering others to do it according to their goals and on their timeline and at their their speed and just asking the question, how can we help you do it? And and so that's one thing. I think it's about reaching every tribe and tongue with a really clear cut visual tool because that's what's needed.
0: Well, and and to that point, Josh, I just learned in the last few months that there are some languages that don't have a written version of the language or the people are illiterate. So even in that situation, it seems so important to have something visual and audio for people to have access to the gospel because they don't have people that can read. There's no language, Mm -hmm. uh, there's no written language for those people to, you know, Somebody to read the Bible and then to speak it to them. So the only way they're going to hear the gospel message is by somebody telling it. Oh yeah. So you nailed it. I, I feel like that's one of the the big aha moments I had in the last few months is these people aren't going to be reached through a written version of the Bible.
2: Yeah. Period. That's right. Yep. That's right. That's why so many Bible translators are on that similar journey. They're transforming their processes from the written word to the oral word and and having you know, translation efforts in what they call the orality movement in that direction, which Mm -hmm. we're coming alongside and saying, okay, let's throw the visual means into that process and let's do it all together.
1: I remember hearing recently that some people are able to translate maybe two different films almost at one time, like someone will speak it into one language and the other person can translate it right then into the next language. So that's kind of speeding up the process as well for making more languages is that accurate yeah
2: that's uh we have a couple of translation processes like that as do the bible agencies and what's really cool is that a couple weeks ago i got a phone call from a a bible translation agency and they said hey we've targeted the next 1000 languages that we want to do on the oral Mm -hmm. uh, translation side what would it be like if the jesus film was the first bible translation that they had so they're they're equating the jesus film with scripture Because they recognize that, hey, we need to get a gospel presentation first and foremost, and then we can continue on the Mm -hmm. translation efforts to build in the discipleship aspect and round round out the word of God in their language. But everybody is seeing the urgency of the moment, which is fascinating. And Mm -hmm. it's it's really fun to be a part of to get calls like that and say, okay, yeah, we want to, we want to, we're right there with you. What do we do? So we'll, uh,
0: well, and I feel like that's one of the huge, aspects of the Jesus Film Project is that the Jesus Film Project plays so well with other partners. I have seen so much just in the last few years, partnering with different denominations, partnering with different people groups around the world, partnering with different ministries that, you know, usually you wouldn't see work together. But the Jesus Film is sort of a glue that will help all these people that are the church work well.
2: Yeah, I think you're right, Joe. I hear that a lot when I meet with different mission leaders. I was in Peru in the middle of the Amazon River, the middle of nowhere a couple of weeks ago. And we were just with another partner who has their heart set on reaching a people group in the Amazon. And this partner pulled me aside and said, and she said to me, actually, Josh, I got to tell you a secret. I said, what's that? And she mm-hmm. said, the secret is, is that you think that the Jesus film is yours, but it's actually ours. And I love <laughs> that because it uh, kind of going back to the best kept secret thing. Like, I think the reason why we feel we can feel like the Jesus film isn't widely known is because we don't have access into how everybody else views the Jesus film. We get these little vignettes mm-hmm. and glimpses of how partners appreciate that. But the reality is, is that because we give all of our tools away and the Jesus film itself away, and even the way that the Jesus film is translated, we give it all away. And people are like, well, if you give it away, then somebody has to own it and we're going to own it. And I love that. I I think that's that's a real uh, vision of partnership is when we literally lay down everything and say, hey, what's ours is yours.
1: Speaking of that trip, we heard about that. We had some friends go on it too. Can you tell us any other highlights? We saw, I think I saw you posing with a sloth.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> pretty awesome. My, my kids got a kick out of that. Um, yeah. Was there any other significant moments that
2: you Well, the share? sloth was definitely a significant moment. I, okay. In my mind, I never would have imagined hanging out with the sloth. Yeah. Really cute baby cool. sloth. And they're really <laughs> soft, too. And apparently it's super easy to catch because you can't, they don't move very fast. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. sure. It makes a lot of sense. Then
1: I heard they, I heard they like play and cuddle, and then they eat them. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, my kids were
1: like, "No." This
2: is a PG thirteen podcast. We can delve into those issues, but yeah, that's right. That's (laughs) what is this morning's pet is this afternoon's lunch, I guess. Oh, I
1: saw I saw some beautiful pictures from Terry and Theo Gunlock that joined you on Mm -hmm. the trip, and some of the villagers worshiping. It was beautiful. The vivid colors, oh but then gosh. just so incredibly. Yeah. I tell you, you
2: yeah, I, I felt like I got a little glimpse of heaven by worshiping with these 14 different tribes that came in to this training center in the middle of the Amazon, where there's you know no electricity, no running water, no internet, all that stuff, and and. There's a real vibrancy to worship because it's urgent and it's applicable even in the midst of all these drastically different circumstances. As Westerners, we come in into the Amazon and we have all of our, you know, all of our things, and as Amazonians, as Peruvians, these folks are there and they really have nothing. And yet the gospel is so central and so such a common experience that everybody who knows Jesus is of one mind in that room and in, in that setting because we're all worshiping the Lord. We all know that he's paid an enormous price and has redeemed us. And because he's redeemed us, then our lives are not ours. And so we are equipped. We're empowered to share that good news with everybody else around us. And whether you're in California or you're there in the middle of the Amazon, that challenge is, is uh, for all of us. So that was pretty cool. I, I love being reminded of those simple facts and, uh, and getting into worship with believers from around the world.
0: That's really cool. So Josh, we actually, we're going to go back to one question that we didn't ask you. And that was, talk to us about the transition from the marketing director role that you had into the director role you have currently, the executive director role.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's so many little tangents I could take. So I want to make sure I hit the, you know where you want to go with that but you know <laughs> why all could, it's, it's intended to be a very <laughs> open scenes. <laughs> <Yeah. thing. laughs> yeah.
1: all behind the scenes that's right <laughs> the process mm-hmm. your interview
2: i think there was some went. black smoke involved or red smoke i can't remember which one white smoke um well i, did I think coming my, did you did you take the red pill or the blue pill <laughs> i know that's right <laughs> I, that's one of our Jesus film stories too. We saw the matrix on a Jesus film recording in 1999. It was awesome. It, it really focused the gospel in and, on that trip. But anyway, um,
1: <laughs> wait, you saw you and Holly yeah, saw that a trip? It was or... a, in
2: Malta of all places. We were doing the Maltese recording of the Jesus film and we were off one night and I can remember like saying to Holly, Hey, what do you want to do? And we walked across this movie theater and no one was there. And the Matrix was playing, and so we thought, "Hey, let's That's go check awesome. it out." We,
1: is that ninety? What is that ninety-eight? Yeah,
2: this is ninety-nine. Ninety-nine.
1: Yeah. Joe and I dressed up for Halloween once, we never dress up for Halloween, but we yes. did one year. You as, and as
2: Trinity. As, Trinity. Was, who was Trinity? <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> Me. We Trinity. didn't do that.
1: <laughs> Are you trying to make this rated? Yeah, I'm I'm,
2: kidding. <laughs> kidding, kidding.
1: That's pretty awesome. So you saw the movie, and then. Did it kind of
2: just seem push you along, get
1: you more excited, push you
2: along? Yeah. How meaningful that movie was in my spiritual life. I wasn't <laughs>
1: kidding, actually.
2: <laughs> but if you remember <laughs> like, like at that at exactly. that time, like the whole conversation in the Christian world was, how do you make the gospel relevant to this generation? And suddenly, like the the Cohen bro- brothers had accidentally unlocked that for the yeah. Christian world. Right. And
1: they did. They made it really exciting. Mm-hmm. That's what they I meant. did. So it's for you. Really
2: yeah, <laughs> I, I remember reading Relevant magazine and Christianity Today, and everybody was on on this thing and on this journey. It was awesome. And, and it's, it's an it, it, okay. So bringing it back to the Jesus film. <laughs> okay. th- that's probably when I thought, okay, film is powerful, not just for people who have never heard the gospel in their own language, and so it's kind of like a unique and you know, an odd experience, but it's powerful for people who watch movies day after day, or at least weekend after weekend. And, and they're, they speak the culture of, of film, if that makes sense. And, and so a great film can penetrate even media saturated people's hearts. And, and, and that gave me, even at that point in 1999, that gave me a vision for what God could do through the Jesus film project to reach even millennials and urban settings, because the gospel is for everyone. And when you're creative and, and telling the story like Jesus was through parables, then you can reach this generation too. And it doesn't have to necessarily look like a movie from 1979, like the Jesus film, although that still works and still is relevant, but the gospel you can you can share the stories in in short films and gospel related films that just get people to question their their preconceived notions about who Jesus is you know give them a chance to take a second look at Christ and his claims and media can help further that conversation along too so you had asked me before, like, what do I see on, you know, on the horizon for the Jesus film? The digital ministry of the Jesus film is kind of like this burgeoning aspect. But you know, with the billions of people that will come online in the next few years, they're going to be asking the same questions that all of us did when we first started getting online. And that is, where do I get my answers? Who can I trust? And is what I am experiencing all around me, is that real? Is that for me? And the gospel is going to show up in a big way there. And the Jesus film is going to be right in the middle of this digital ministry revolution too.
1: That's cool. So going back to your transition. So that was, I think for all, well, for all of us, I remember, you know, we were planning on Eric was humming along mm-hmm. and things were going smooth. And then he ended up having to exit and in came Josh. Mm-hmm. So how was that transition? Or can you tell us a little bit about,
2: yeah, I can remember the day that Eric told our yeah. executive team that he was going to step down, and there was—it wasn't panic by any means, because God's the one that leads the ministry, not not anybody. But there certainly was like this sense of, "Wow, Eric was pretty amazing," and Eric and Elizabeth yeah. um, really stewarded the ministry well. So, what's God got next? And I think the Lord gave. Both Holly and me, supernatural peace to know that okay, God's got this, and whoever He installs as the next director, there's fruitfulness on the other side of it. There's there's more, and so God's purposes are are His, and His timing is His, and not subject to our constraints. Certainly, so we just had a real good sense that the Lord was at hand and cared about the future of the ministry even more than we did. And it's a good thing that we had that sense and that impression right from the beginning because over the next ensuing months as it became clear that we were going to be asked to step into that role, we just kept returning back to that moment to say, okay, well, even before we knew that we would be you know, in the conversation, so to speak, we knew that God was the one that was orchestrating these things and whoever he had at the end of the day to step into this leadership role it was going to be for the ministry's good so that his purposes could be fulfilled and so that certainty kind of certainly kept us going even in the midst of trying to figure out okay is that what God has for us and all those type of questions that are just a natural part of a process
0: that's fantastic I can just say for myself that I feel like the Jesus film is in good hands with you and Holly and we really appreciate your leadership
2: yeah thanks yeah and I think one of the and it just to kind of camp out on that for a second it really is god who's running things <laughs> so and he's brought so many capable leaders and so many capable partners to this ministry that it is in good hands it's in good hands because there's so many people who have fresh vision and fresh, you know, insight from the Lord about where to take certain aspects of it. Whoever steps into this role next, it's not about putting their stamp on a mission agency or anything like that. It's more like, okay, how do you help serve all of what God is doing across all these great leaders and all these great partners and people who have been involved in the ministry for decades? As Holly and I stepped into that role from the very first staff meeting and from the very first meeting with our director's development board, we have sensed nothing except for the fact that God is, is in control because of the people that are around us that we get to serve with.
0: Hmm. Well, um, Josh, I think, is there anything else that you think that you'd want to tell people about the Jesus film or about what they can expect in the future?
2: I mean, the, the future of the Jesus film, I think, is in those two categories, reaching every single language group and entering into this digital world in a significant way, because the, the world is pretty diverse.
1: Are you comfortable kind of saying a timeline for those languages, or do you guys not have one, or how does that work?
2: Yeah, it's it's really tough to gauge that. The Bible translation community is setting a timeline of 2030, and we Mm. have been focused on what we've called Mission 865, which is to get the Jesus film into all the languages that are spoken by people groups of 50,000 or more speakers. And that will take us up to mm-hmm. you know close to ninety nine percent of the world's speaking population, but that last one percent is the huge tail end of five thousand languages, and so that's a Great. that's a pretty massive undertaking. That
1: yeah, it's we huge. don't
2: want to put a timeline on. But we certainly yeah. are we're thinking a lot about, we're praying a lot about. and you know we're making some good inroads into with like the things that you mentioned, Joe, of oral to oral translation and some of the other partnering opportunities. It, it seems like God is bringing us all into focus on the remaining task. So
1: is the 865 is that something by 2025? Yeah. or is that? Happen? Yeah, mission 865
2: yeah. by 2025 and beyond that is where we'll trust the Lord for the next goal.
1: How many languages is that? Is that 865?
0: It's uh, 865 languages that have 50,000 speakers or more.
1: Yes. But we're up to 1,754? Correct. How does that work?
2: Yeah. So in 2010, the Jesus film had been translated into roughly, I want to say 1,200 languages or so. At that point, we did a study to say, okay, what's the remaining people group of 50,000 or more speakers? And there were 865 of those people left groups that were it. left. And so... Okay, so
1: that's bring us over 2,000. Yeah, and that
2: would bring us over 2,000. And we'll get right. to... Mm-hmm. And because we've done other smaller language groups in that time frame mm-hmm. too, we'll probably be around 23, 2400 languages of the Jesus film that will be done by the time we finish Mission 865.
1: And a lot of those are funded, right? Of eight hundred and sixty-five.
2: Yeah, there's been a wonderful team of donors who got together and said, "Hey, what can we do to at least on our side, on the financial stewardship side? How can we help accelerate that?" So they uh, called themselves the Finishers and created this matching fund to say, "You know, okay, if the Jesus Film, if it costs thirty-eight thousand dollars to do it, then we want to knock down that price to nineteen thousand dollars." And so they created this wow. fund to be able to do it for for all the remaining Mission Eight Sixty Five languages. So yeah, cool. really cool. Yeah, that's another example of how God raises up these leaders. That wasn't a, that wasn't an idea that, you know, us as Jesus film leaders had. That was simply something that some of our faithful ministry partners came up with themselves.
1: So, how many of those languages do you have left for each? Yeah, five? we're
2: roughly halfway through. Mm-hmm. It's only getting harder because the remaining four hundred and seventy or so, they're in some of the hardest places to, mm-hmm. to do these things, and yet you know God's making a way there's all these there's partnerships that are happening right now that will help get those translations done we can kind of see the wow. the end of this which was a major faith step at the time but God has made a way
1: yeah that's so cool well I know that's what people get excited about is funding a language mm-hmm. and almost adopting it we got to do one in Ghana with our whole family and my parents yeah, that's so cool that's really exciting so well thanks yeah Josh. thank
2: you guys That was great.